Good morning. It is so good to be with you, to join my voice with yours, and to praise God. What a blessing it is to be able to come together such as times like this, and to not only worship the amazing God that created us and redeems us, but also to be with people that you care so much about and love dearly because of the faith that we share, because of the allegiance that we have made, each one of us together, to live for him because he died for us. Throughout time, the Holy Spirit has fulfilled a very vital role in God's plans. In Elohim's purposes. For example, here in 2 Peter chapter 1, we are told that through the ages, chosen men were moved by the Holy Spirit to speak God's message, to speak the word of God. But that's not all that the Holy Spirit did. For example, back in Genesis 1, he was there actively present in creation. When God in the beginning created everything and the Spirit of God was moving on the surface of the the waters and God, Jehovah, Elohim said, let us make man in our image. In Exodus chapter 31, with the construction of the tabernacle, not only is God speaking to Moses and through Moses, but also we are told in the 31st chapter that there is a man by the name of Bezalel, or Bezalel, and he was chosen and and filled with the Spirit of God so that he would be able through craftsmanship to complete the task that lay before them. Moving on through history, we see further what the Spirit is doing. In the days of the kings, he would stir up kings to action. We're told here in 1 Samuel 11 that it is the Spirit of God that came upon Saul. And Saul mightily then uh, is moved with zeal, and he calls the nation together to battle, and they do. They hear the sound of his call, and they come. Later on in the days of Asa, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, a prophet, and he meets with Asa and directs him that he needs to courageously remove the idols from the land. And Asa does that. Then you come all the way to the New Testament, and you find that at the time that Jesus Christ is baptized by John, the herald of the Messiah, the Spirit was present, coming down from above as a dove and lighting upon the Lord, and then in turn leading Jesus Christ out in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But then in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, the apostle Paul, by the Spirit, pens these words. He says, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a vitally important part of the lives of faithful Christians. He is a vitally important part of your life as a child of God. 
Now, the Holy Spirit is one of the divine persons, one of the divine beings that compose what we know as the Godhead. As you've already pointed out, he was there in the beginning in Genesis 1, creating with the Father and the Son. In John 14, Jesus is there in the upper room with the apostles, preparing them for what is about to happen. And in verse 26, one of the things he told the apostles, he says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So not only was the Spirit creating at the beginning of time, but also he carried out the Father's and the Son's will as well. When you come to the Great Commission, and Jesus is sending out the apostles to preach the gospel to the world, we find that the authority of the Holy Spirit is embedded in the Great Commission. For it is in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for your sins. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is not simply an influence, nor is the Holy Spirit some natural force of nature. He is a divine being. He is a divine person part of the Godhead, like the Father and like the Son. And as you consider the role of the Godhead throughout time, as we are told in the Scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, what we find is that the omnipresence of deity, the omnipresence of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit has been and is accomplished through a number of different ways, through a number of different means. You see it in, through the various agencies or means or methods of creation. You see it in divine laws and divine appointments, and you see it in God's chosen servants. The omnipresence of God is being communicated in some way, in some fashion. For example, God spoke to Moses In Exodus 3, how? Through an angel and a burning bush. You move a little farther along and still in the time period of Moses, and you look in Exodus chapter 12, we are told that God guided a nation through the wilderness. How? By a cloud and by a pillar. Those are all manifestations of the omnipresence of God and God's purpose and God's plan and God's will being worked out as he chooses and as he directs. And so therefore, in the first century A.D., the Holy Spirit's work and the Holy Spirit's presence was manifested particularly initially through Christ's apostles and Christ's Prophets how? Through a number of different ways of miraculous gifts and endowments of power. Acts 2. When the apostles on the day of Pentecost are immersed, they are baptized with the Spirit, and they began to speak in a number of languages they had never studied or learned, and they speak the praises 
of God and the proclamation of the gospel. That was the Spirit at work through those chosen servants of Jehovah. And so that's why over in Hebrews chapter 2, as the inspired writer guided by the Spirit pins these words, reminding us of how the word, the divine revelation of our creator has come to be into being when he says, God testifying with them both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And so there's a number of ways that the Holy Spirit's presence, along with the fathers and the sons, have been manifested throughout time. But in the first century, in the New Testament time period, we see that the Holy Spirit distributed miraculous gifts among members of the body of Jesus Christ. That there were special gifts, not natural gifts, not natural abilities, but special gifts that were given to Christians. And those gifts are named in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In chapter 12, beginning there in verse 8, it, it reads, And for to one, it says, is given the word of wisdom. How? Through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, distinguishing of spirits. To another, kinds of tongues. And to another, interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And so when you read your New Testaments and you see in the early days, in the early years of the Lord's church that is being established and growing throughout the world, beginning in Jerusalem and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, the Holy Spirit distributed these miraculous gifts among Christians now, these gifts that are being given to different Christians are in fulfillment of Joel 2. The same prophecy that the apostles quoted back in Acts 2, when they explain how, how was it that the apostles are now immersed with the Spirit and are able to do these amazing, powerful things on the day of Pentecost. How could they do that? Well, it's because the Spirit had begun to do its work as the Father had revealed through Joel. And so the baptism of the Spirit in Acts 2 or in Acts 10 is in fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. And so are the gifts of the Spirit a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy that are all from God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But when you study and glance here in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, you will note you know, that all Christians did not have the same gifts. 
And nor did all Christians possess miraculous gifts. And so you pick up our reading there in the 28th verse. And he says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? And these are rhetorical questions. Well, no. Everybody is not an apostle. Everybody is not a prophet. All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Yes, it is a vital role of the Spirit in the New Testament time, that he dispersed gifts, miraculous gifts of various kinds in the church, the one body of Jesus Christ that was scattered in the world. And these gifts that are from the Spirit were for the benefit of revelation, for the benefit of confirmation, and for the benefit of edification. And, you know, some of those points are brought out here even in 1 Corinthians as well. And you see, for example, in the 7th verse of the 12th chapter, he says, To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Who decided what that good was? It was not the recipient of the gift. It was the Spirit who decided that. And it was for the common good, for the building up of the body of Christ throughout the world, and for the purpose that the Godhead had determined. And one thing that they had, they had determined before this even occurred was that these miraculous gifts were to be done away with one day. They were meant to be temporary. As you look there in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, picking up at verse 8, he says, now love never fails. Love is of an eternal nature. Because love has its source, its origin with God himself, because God is love, and God is everlasting to everlasting. So there is a permanent nature to love. But in contrast to that, he says, if there are gifts of prophecy... They will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. Were there prophecies in New Testament times? Yes. Were there people with the gifts to speak in languages they not learned? Tongues? Yes. But it says, but they will be done away. They will cease. Verse 8 at the end. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. The gift of knowledge without learning, that's going to be done away as well as well. Because they go on to say, for we, do, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. And so we clearly see here, as he goes on to explain, when I, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. The miraculous gifts in the first century are being compared to childish things. The time comes. We have to grow up. And you put away the things that are part of your childhood. And so in verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly and then face to face. And now I know in part and then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. 
And so in the first century, a vital role, a vital part of the Spirit's work in the great scheme of God's plan was, yes, this distribution of miraculous gifts. And it was important, and it is important for you that he did this then. But it's been done away with. And so therefore, the gifts of the Spirit are not the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is promised to all obedient believers in Acts 2, verse 38. Now, there is no miraculous power promised. There is no automatic giving of miraculous power to believers who repent and are baptized in the name of Christ for the remission of sins. That is not an automatic promise that you're going to have miraculous power. And that's not going to automatically happen. And it didn't happen then either. It was not an automatic thing. But the spiritual blessings of salvation are available, and they are available also because of the Spirit's work. They're available because of the Father's work. And they're available because of the Son's work. And they are available to us today because of the Spirit's work. The work of the Holy Spirit is vitally important to you and me as faithful Christians. Along with the promise of the remission of sins in Acts 2.38, the gift of the Holy Spirit is promised as well to penitent believers who are immersed in water in the name of Jesus Christ. That is a promise to us. Early on in in that same chapter of Acts chapter 2, we see the outpouring of the Spirit being done upon the apostles. And it is in that work you have this open proclamation that everybody, everybody now who calls the name of the Lord can be saved. That is good news. That wasn't the case before. Those outside of the, of the commonwealth of Israel, outside and apart from the law of Moses, they didn't receive the blessings that Israel received. But that's been done away. That barrier, that wall has been taken down and Jesus Christ is now our peace. He's made the two into one body, reconciling us both unto himself. And so you think about this outpouring of the Spirit through the apostles saying, okay, now everybody can call on the name of the Lord and they will be saved when they call on the name of the Lord as Jesus instructs us. But this promise goes way back, though. It goes farther back than Joel, really. Because it goes all the way back to the promised blessing which has come to us through Abraham's seed. The ancient promise to Abraham. And you look there in Genesis chapter 22. And again, God reminds Abraham that through your seed, all nations will be blessed. And so... In Galatians 3, in verse 29, when it tells us that all those who have put on Christ or those who have clothed themselves with Christ, 
they belong to Christ. Christians belong to Christ. And if if you belong to Christ, he says, then you are Abraham's descendants. You are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, we may not have any Hebrew lineage, but that's okay. Because if you belong to Christ, if you're in Christ, you are Abraham's family. Because you belong to Christ. It is an ancient promise of insurmountable blessings. Like Brian pointed out in turning our thoughts to the relationship that, we, that has been given to us through Christ. How now God dwells with us and we dwell with God. That comes through this promised blessing And therefore, not only did Peter preach that blessing in Acts 2.38, but also he continued to challenge his hearers the same message, to repent and be converted so that sin will be blotted out or wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. See, not only do we receive the gift of the Spirit, we see the times of refreshment. There is refreshment from the presence of the Lord. Or Paul as he gives his defense in Acts, 2, Acts 26, verse 18, explaining to, to them about his calling, you know, not only as a disciple, particularly as a servant, as an apostle of Christ, and how Paul tells them there in verse 18 that he was sent to do what? He was sent to turn men from darkness and Satan to God and light. That was the mission of Paul. As an apostle, my mission, his whole life mission was to turn people away from darkness and sin and turn them to God and light. Why? Why did they need to make that turn? Well, they need to make that turn because they, he says, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith. These are enormous spiritual blessings that come to us through the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I believe the gift of the Spirit in Acts 2.38 is the heavenly gift of salvation. I believe it is Christ's peace of reconciliation. It is the justification in God's grace. It is the promise and inheritance of eternity. It is all of that. Because God had so long ago said, in you, Abraham, one day I'm going to bless all nations. And through Joel, he says, one day I'm going to pour out my spirit. And at that time, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And so when there were hearts that were receptive and they say, what must we do? And Peter tells them what they need to do. He says, and you will receive the gift. That long-awaited gift. That spiritual blessedness is a gift of the Father. Spiritual blessedness is a gift of the Son. Spiritual blessedness is a gift of the Spirit. And because of that blessing, all, all who have been purchased by the blood of Christ are a sanctuary, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19... 
You turn there and you can read as the Apostle Paul admonishes the saints in Corinth, teaching them of their relationship in Christ, what it means, you know, what it calls them to, to do and to be. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? I think the question implies they should have known this. If they didn't, they should have known this. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple? It is a sanctuary. It is a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own. See, don't you realize that? Don't you realize with the great scheme of redemption and God delivering us out of darkness and bringing us in, into his marvelous light and that we are no longer his own, our, our, ourselves, but we now belong to Christ, that now we are a dwelling of God. We are a dwelling of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 3.27, we are told, when we each are baptized in Christ, we clothe ourselves with Christ. Some versions say we put on Christ. When we submit in faith to the call of the gospel, we put on and we put him in us. Galatians 3.27. Over in 2 John 9, as John the Apostle writes by the guidance of the Spirit, he reminds his audience that when we abide in Christ's teaching, when we are following and keeping and hearing to the doctrine of the Son of God, when we do that, he says, you have the Father. You have the Son. When you are abiding in his word, in his teaching, in his will, in his purpose, in his plan, when you are doing that, God is in you. God is with you. You are not alone. You have both the Father and the Son. And so this idea of God and Christ, the Father and the Son abiding in us and us in them, we understand is a relationship that we receive and a relationship that we maintain and sustain by faith. It's a relationship of fellowship. It is a, it, it's one of communion. It is one of harmony. And so therefore, likewise, the Spirit dwells in us and we In the spirit by faith. It is also a relationship. It is a fellowship of like-mindedness. That is why Luke could say in in Acts 5.32, in talking about the witnessing of the Holy Spirit with the apostles, he says, who God has given to those who obey him. How How could Luke write that? Well, because all of those who put on Christ clothe themselves with deity. We don't become gods, but we take on a fellowship. We take on a communion. We take on a like-mindedness that now God's will, God's purpose, God's plan is ours. And so therefore, in Romans 8, as we introduced early on, all those who are led by the Spirit They are sons of God. We are sons of God by the leading of the Spirit. Galatians 3, as we bring our lesson to a close here, is a very familiar text to many students of the New Testament of the inspired Word of God. 
where he talks about how we live by the Spirit and we walk by the Spirit. There in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If you want to live by the Spirit, how are you going to do that? Well, you're going to have to walk by Him. That's how. And if we walk by the Spirit, you know, how do we do that? How do we walk by the Spirit? Well, we do that by practicing the divine nature. And what's that? What is the divine nature that I am called to practice, to incorporate into my life? Well, it is the very characteristic and nature of the Spirit himself. Now, the Spirit is not a feeling. It's not some vague influence. It's not some natural force. He is a divine being. But when I take on the attributes and the characteristics and the traits of the Spirit, as talked about in Galatians 3... It is then that I am walking by the Spirit. And when I'm walking by the Spirit, it is then I am living in the Spirit. And the Spirit is living in me. In verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Did Paul just pull these things out of a hat? Some, you know, Well, no, he didn't just pull them out of a hat somewhere. These attributes, these characteristics, where do they originate? They originate with our creator. They originate with the one God, the one Godhead, who is the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And when we walk and live in such a way that that is the fruit that we bear, that that is the very, very nature we demonstrate day after day, it is then that we are living by the Spirit because we are walking by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit plays a vital role in your life still today. You are not here today without the Spirit and without the Father and without the Son. The Spirit is an important component in God's scheme of redemption, a vital component. But also the Spirit is an important component in calling you and me out of darkness into the light. The Spirit has had a role in that as well. And it is also an important component in helping each one of us who are faithful adherers as God's children to keep the faith. He is part of us when we are part of him. And at this very moment, the Spirit, as expressed in the book of Revelation, the Spirit is inviting you. He is calling you right now to come. He's inviting you to hear the words of salvation, those words of salvation that challenge us to believe and be converted. Those are the Spirit's words, for he knows the mind of God. And it's those words that invite each and every one of us 
To examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. If we are walking in the faith as we ought. It is He who is calling you. But it is also the Father and Son as well. For they are one. And He calls you to submit in faith and obedience to Him. And if you will, then you will be raised up to walk a new life. To become a new creation in Christ. And all of that is the work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. If you're here today and you believe Jesus to be the Christ. And you believe that with all your heart that He is God's Son. And He died on Calvary's cross so long ago. But that death is still as viable today as it was then. If you believe that. But you've not obeyed Him. We want to encourage you to submit your will to His today. To encourage you to obey His commandments. By confessing your faith with your mouth before others. Repenting of the sins that you committed in your life. And being baptized in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of those sins. If we can help you do that, we encourage you, we invite you, please come forward, make your wishes known while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.